from death to life. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, July 25th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The writer of John tells us that Passover was near when Jesus sat on a mountain to teach and then feed the 5,000. John puts Jesus squarely in the context of Sinai and the Exodus, connecting Jesus with the prophet like Moses. God in the Exodus moves Israel from death to life so that he can dwell with his people. Likewise, Reverend David Pelegi tells us, Jesus performs miracles to show that the kingdom of God is breaking in on earth, moving those who trust in him from death to life and into relationship with God the Father. Our first reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, this is a blessing, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the book of Psalms. Chapter 145, verse 10 to 18. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at their proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, 
to all who call on his in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's all stand for the reading of the gospel. The reading is in John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets and the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus perform, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us together. In the name of your Son, Jesus the Messiah, we pray as we study his life and words, his teaching, We pray that uh, not only will we be inspired, but we ask that um, he indeed, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will guide us and direct us, bring us blessing. Lord, we pray that um, as we submit ourselves to him, that most of all you'll bring us transformation and maturity, that you'll bring us healing and wholeness. And most of all, enable us to walk in holiness and therefore glorify you in all that we do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen.
So we're going to um, have a look this morning at the gospel passage. And uh, John chapter 6 is is an incredibly rich and very layered chapter. It, um, It is something that we cannot actually... I was going to say we can't, uh, one sermon doesn't uh, do it justice. And uh, those who somehow who have um, put together a lectionary decided in their wisdom that uh, we need five Sundays to cover John chapter 6. In actual fact, we probably should take 25 Sundays. But for the next four Sundays following this one, uh, we will remain uh, in this chapter. And um, ultimately, when we come to the end, Jesus is speaking at the synagogue in Capernaum. We'll see that um, Jesus will be the one who offers himself as the bread of life, invites us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. We'll discuss the meaning of that in a few weeks. And to realize, you might say, the implications, yes, of that self-giving and that invitation, yes, uh, to, uh, to fellowship with him. But for this, for this week, we have the feeding of the 5,000, it is a story that uh, I'm sure we're all familiar with. It is very popular uh, in uh, Sunday schools. It is a story that appears in all four Gospels. In fact, it's probably the only miracle, yes, that is found in all four. The details in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are fairly similar. And while John is not all that different, He does give us some information that is actually quite significant and uh, hopefully um, important for us. Maybe I would like to just um, extend my uh, compliments to to the author of the Gospel of John. I'm not sure who he is, and maybe there was more than one author or more than uh, one editor over the years. But um, at the start of John's gospel, uh, we have this reference to Jesus crossing to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And John then goes on to say, that is the Sea of Tiberias. John sometimes can be, um, might confuse us about his chronology. So for example, he has a, the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And I seriously doubt there were two cleansings of the temple. But his knowledge of topography, his knowledge of uh, Jerusalem, his knowledge of Jewish customs and Jewish life uh, in the first century is actually uh, quite amazing. And uh, John knows something that uh, many of us who study the Gospels uh, may not realize is that in the ancient world, uh, no Jew called the Lake of Kinneret 
the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee was an, was an, uh, is a term that was invented by the gospel writers. Um, it was known as the Canaret. It was known as the Lake of Gennesaret or the Lake of uh, Gennesar or the Lake of Tiberias. And we can see that John actually chokes over the term. But putting geography aside for a moment, um, I think one of the most important details Yes, that's uh, brought to our attention here is actually uh, something missing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke when it comes to the feeding of the 5,000. We read in verse 4, the Jewish, Pasto Jewish Passover feast was near. And surely, yes, the context of this story, the context of this miracle needs to be read or needs to be comprehended, you might say, within the context of Sinai, in the context of the Exodus. We have other clues, by the way. Um, the, it tells us, for example, in uh, verse 14, that um, the people say, surely this is the prophet. And by um, making mention of the prophet, uh, no doubt they're talking about Deuteronomy 18, yes, in which Moses says there is going to be someone like me coming after me. Yes, listen to him, Moses says. And so when these um, people are suggesting that Jesus might be a prophet, they might, they're hinting or even thinking that he actually might be uh, the Messiah who, or a messianic figure. And we also have Jesus sitting down on a mountain, and um, he sits down in a, he sits down on a mountain um, side in verse three. And again, we're supposed to think Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. Yes, that's the context. Now, sometimes it can be very difficult for us, and I'll tell you why. Because more often than not, in our community. We use, the, we use what we call the Old Testament, or we use the Hebrew Bible as nothing more than a proof text for Jesus the Messiah. It is indeed, yes, there are, there are indeed many prophecies that um, prophesy the coming of a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, who comes out of Zion, to Zion, to the Jewish people, and then ultimately to the nations. No question. But surely, 75% of the Bible is more than just a proof text about Jesus. Yes, it's Torah. And Torah, as we understand it, is revelation. And it's guidance. And it's direction. And it's instruction. And it's teaching us about God. And it's teaching us about redemption. And it teaches us about covenant. And it teaches us what it means to be obedient and to walk in holiness. The character of God is his grace, his mercy is revealed. And we don't oftentimes take it seriously. We'll say, yes, Jesus fulfills the Passover. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. And then we leave it at that. But there's more to the Hebrew Bible. 
And let's just think about it for a moment, because I do think it's important for our passage. And so, what is the, if we're thinking about the, uh, the story of the Exodus, or thinking about Moses' deliverance from Egypt, yes, what, what uh, comes to mind? And immediately people say, yes, liberation from slavery. But in a bigger way, yes, it is about the movement from death to life, that God brings redemption to his people. What kind of redemption does he bring to his people? The angel of death passes over. The children of Israel are spared death. They indeed are, liber they indeed are liberated, but they're liberated for a purpose. Yes, the goal of the Exodus, the goal of liberation, wasn't simply to come to the Holy Land and start El Al Airlines, to eat falafels on Dizengoff, yes, to listen to oud music and Akko. That's not the purpose. That wasn't the ultimate, God's ultimate goal. So God brings people out and he makes a covenant with them. And the result of that covenant that uh, is cut at Sinai is that God then dwells with his people, that God is in the midst of his people, that God brings them blessing, and ultimately, God brings them life. Yes, so this is a story. The Exodus is a story of life and death, and that when Jesus is going to talk about bread and bread coming from heaven and eternal life, it is also a story of life and death. Yes. So we can't miss, I hope we don't miss um, the bigger picture. In the process of God bringing redemption to his people, in the process of God taking his people out of Egypt in order to free them. And why does God want to free his people? So that they then could, they can be free to serve him. Yes. Freedom in this case uh, wasn't as we perhaps know it today. I want to be free to do what I want to. No, they were removed from bondage so that they could first go and worship and then secondly make a commitment to God and serve him. And so God's love, yes, God's faithfulness is demonstrated in the way that he cares for his people especially as they're wandering in the wilderness. And uh, the provision that he gives them, the food, the water. And by the way, even the commandments, the commandments that God gives his people, we can't see them as some form of legalism or some sort of bondage. In fact, many of us have the, unfortunately have the view, do we not? God's an old man up there, not very happy. And he's intent on making us miserable. And he's going to give us a lot of rules and regulations. But may I remind you that the book of Deuteronomy, which is a very important book for the Gospel of John, the book of Deuteronomy says that in chapter 13, verse 10, that God says, be careful and obey these commandments which I'm giving you today for your own good. Yes, that even God's commandments, yes, are an act of love, yes, so that his people will flourish. 
and uh, enjoy well-being. And so this tender care, you might say, that God gives them, yes, and I don't want to underestimate the importance of God caring for our physical needs, but there is something, yeah, that, uh, again, the book of Deuteronomy will tell us, why does God do this? Yes. Is it only an act of compassion? It is. And let's not underestimate that. But there's something more. And this is what, this is what the Lord says in uh, chapter 29 of Deuteronomy. He says, During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or fermented drink. I did this so that you might know I am the Lord your God. Right? That God miraculously provided for his people, yes, so that they might know, and actually when we read the story, we might know that he is the Lord. Now what does it mean to know? You're probably thinking, where's the feeding of the 5,000? We're getting there. Right. What does it mean to know the Lord? Yeah. Well, to know the Lord, you can say it's to perceive, or it's to find out and discern something. This is from the, the Hebrew yada. It is to distinguish, yes, to, to figure something out. It is to learn by, to know by experience, all right? To distinguish because we've had experience or to perceive because we've had experience. And the word has the sense of knowing is not something that happens instantly, but it's something that uh, we actually learn, yes? It's something that uh, knowledge is something, this knowing the Lord is something that we acquire. And of course, the terms for knowing in Hebrew is used in the most intimate way. Or it's understood that it's a relationship that's, that is intimate. So to, to know is to be acquainted with. To know is to experience. And so this is, what, this is why God provided for his people. Surely they, need, they had needs, but at the same time, he wanted to exhibit. He wanted to reveal his character to people, and he did it in this very, very concrete, this very concrete way. What does all this have to do with our gospel passage? I think it has everything to do, because John tells us, and no other gospel tells us, that people are following Jesus because of the signs that he's doing. In the Gospels, in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus does a miracle, these miracles are in response to human need. These miracles also at the same time demonstrate, yes, the in-breaking, king, the in-breaking power or the in-breaking reality of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, he comes along and he tells people the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom, God is starting to rule and reign through me. 
in a way that he hasn't done before. He's taking charge of things. And you can see it demonstrated. You can see it proved, yes, in these miracles or these mighty acts. And very often in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially for those of you who've been here for a few weeks, we've been in Mark. Very often in Mark, in Mark's gospel, you may remember that these miracles happen, yes, in a response to faith. Someone comes to Jesus, and uh, here we're talking about faith in its maybe Old Testament sense, yes, and it's, uh, in, in, it's the Hebrew, Hebraic flavor of the word emunah, which means persistence, which means loyalty, which means perseverance. And uh, you remember the gospel story. There was a woman with an issue of blood, and yet she persisted and fought through that crowd. She didn't give up, and she touched the hem of so-called hem of his garment, the tzitzit, as we hear in Matthew's gospel, and she's healed. And Jesus said, your faith, your persistence, yes, your refusal to quit, yes, has healed you, and the word is interchangeable with saved, because she was saved from that miserable situation. And there are, there are other examples in Mark's gospel, but my favorite combine, combines persistence and chutzpah, right? You know what, everyone should know what chutzpah is. I hope you know. Chutzpah is, it's like the, the man uh, who killed his father and mother, and uh, then he was arrested, put on trial. And just before the judge was going to sentence him, he said, Judge, be merciful to, to me. I'm an orphan. That's chutzpah. So in Mark chapter 2, there is a man who's paralyzed. They cannot bring him to Jesus. So they hoist him up on one of those flat roofs, and they dig a hole in the roof. The roof is made of compact mud, uh, and underneath there would be tree branches. They destroy someone's roof, lower the man down in a pallet, and Jesus heals him. And when he does, he says, their faith has healed you. Yes, their faith has healed you. Now in John, we have seven miracles that are called signs. And these seven miracles are, in a way, the nature of these miracles are radically different. What these signs are supposed to do, yes, is that they don't come through faith, exactly. Instead, when we hear about these, or when others saw them and there were witnesses to these miracles, the signs were supposed to build faith, or the signs were supposed to allow us, yes, to see what God is doing, right? It's kind of opposite. And the reason it's, we I think it's important to say all this is because a lot of times when we're seeking things from the Lord, we don't often realize that there's a tension here. And very frequently, we'll say to ourselves, or we might think about others, and if we're not very sensitive, we might say to others, 
oh, the reason you don't have a job is because you don't have faith. Now, it is true, you know, we need faith. But God isn't somehow limited or stuck by that formula. Because oftentimes God will do things for us and we have no faith. Right? We have no expectations. And when he does, when we receive that gift, whether it's something big or small, it should be a sign, as in John's gospel. These signs are there. The feeding of the 5,000, yes, one of these seven miracles, they're recorded so that we will do what? And this is where um, we have... um, Actually, the Gospel of John helps us because in chapter 20, which is the natural end of of the Gospel, the Gospel writer, the man who's been narrating this whole story, yeah, stops and then turns to those of us who are reading the Gospel, right? It's kind of shocking, like, you know, when you're in a play or a movie and all of a sudden the actors start addressing Yes, those are, start talking to those in the audience. And so, all of a sudden, the writer turns to us uh, in verse 30, and it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, yes, the seven, they're selected, so that we, that you may believe, believe what? so that we may just have faith. No, listen carefully. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Right? You may have life in his name. It's the purpose of the miracles. And that's oftentimes the purpose of why God does things for us. Sometimes big miraculous things, sometimes small things, but still, nonetheless, some things come through faith and us having a certain expectation and a certain confidence in God, and other things come purely as a gift. But when they come purely as a gift, yes, we should be very mindful of why they've come. Yes, no question. God cares for human need. God looks down upon us because, and his great love, yes, wants us to have something to eat and a place to live and financial provision or supply. But there's something even, there's something even more important. Remember this, uh, Jesus quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 to the devil. Yes, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, what what is what is verse thirty tell us? Or verse thirty one tells us tells us that we have to understand rightly who Jesus is. It's not simply having faith in a wonder worker or having faith in you know Jesus is a wise man who might come and help us. In fact, I had a relative not long ago tell me, well, I really don't believe that Jesus was divine. I don't believe that. I I believe he was just a human being. But she said, I pray to him every day. 
And I thought, well, how does that work? I said to my relative, you know, how, does some, how is it possible that some human being is going to help you, right? right? So we, we can't be confused about these things. And by believing, we can have life in his name. And again, what is, I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's so essential because so often, yes, we think of believing as just some right doctrine or just some intellectual, yes, I believe in Jesus and everything's going to be okay. But believing, yes, in John's gospel is so rich and it's so beautiful and yet it's challenging. Because belief is trusting, trusting in. And as people always, when I was growing up in the Protestant world, they said, have you trusted Christ? I was, yeah, yeah, I've trusted Christ for dying for my sins. And we've turned it into a one-time event. But it's not a one-time event. It's a whole lifestyle, right? It doesn't happen something we do on a Thursday and then forget about it for the rest of our life. Yes, it's something that we do daily, right? There's a continual trust. There's a con- to, tr- uh, to, be- uh, to believe in John's gospel. It means that we're going to abide, that we're going to connect, that we're going to uh, be in relationship. And further, it's an active commitment to a person. It's discipleship. Yeah? John's gospel doesn't know a division between works and faith. That might happen in the epistles of Paul, but I'm just saying for, for this, our context at the moment, to believe and to have life, eternal life, which is this relationship with God, yes, it means that one is walking in the way of Jesus. One's, we're imitating him, yes? And that's what a sign is. That's, at, I think, at the most basic level, at the most fundamental level. That's what's happening, yes, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's done in that bigger context, yes, of the story of the Hebrew Bible, that story of, rid- of moving from life to death, yes, moving f- into uh, not just redemption, not just freedom, but into covenant, and ultimately into uh, having God dwell in the, midst, in the midst of Israel. And when God dwells in the midst of Israel, and Israel is obedient, yes, Israel chooses life, and Israel lives. And of course, when we um, enter into relationship with Jesus, yes, into covenant with Jesus, and it's not only accepting the work he does for on the, us on the cross or at the empty tomb, yes, but we come into a relationship that is trusting, one that is abiding, one that is um, uh, imitating him or keeping, uh, keeping his commandments. We come into life, eternal life. We come into that relationship with him and with, and with the Father. Let's go on for a minute, because I think there are a couple of other, one or two other things that are important in all of this. And that is Philip and Andrew. Philip and Andrew have a big, not a big, but they have a little, a bit of a place in John's gospel. 
And so they, Jesus will ask the question to one of them. Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him. Again, he's compassionate, but there's something more than simply human compassion, uh, meeting human needs here. What shall, he's, he asked Philip a question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each to have a bite. Okay, so, so Philip, he's, maybe he's a bean counter or he's an economist. He understands the, the economy or the economic system of the world, right? But what Jesus is going to show him is that God operates on a different economy. And God operates in a different way. And this indeed will be a sign because when Jesus performs the miracle, it will exhibit or maybe reveal, unveil, yes, the character of God. And it will show not only that God's compassion and love for people, but even more importantly, it will show that God himself is working in and through Jesus and that God, God the Father is being glorified in and through Jesus. Yes, and that's what the world needs to needs to recognize. So Philip is being tested. He has no idea. Um, so Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how will they go among so many? And I think what's essential in all of this is that if we want our faith but let's don't use the word faith because faith is, can be very intellectual, very abstract. Do we want to mature in our belief? Do we want to come to a place of deeper trust? Or do we want to stay immature? Do we want to stay stuck? Many Christians are sort of on autopilot, spiritual autopilot of one kind or another. Do we want to come to a place, yes, where we connect in a deeper relationship with Jesus, yes, where abiding becomes, yes, almost an issue of life and death for us? Do we want to come to a place where loving him becomes more and more important? And so therefore, out of gratitude, we will keep his commandments, yes, and glorify him in a way that we relate to other people. You want to do any of that stuff? Then we'll need to be tested. Right? It works when we're tested. It works when the Lord puts us in, and sometimes into a hard, and sometimes into a risky, and sometimes even into a dangerous place. And we cry, help, 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 help. Here the testing's quite gentle. The testing's quite gentle. So first, any kind of test. And by the way, there are many such tests throughout the Gospel of John. It's not just uh, Andrew and Philip. There's a test with the, at the wedding of Cana with the, with the mother of Jesus. There's a test with the Samaritan woman. 
the man born blind. And of course, the ultimate and the most difficult test is in the face of death. And by the way, that's will be the hardest test for each one of us as we face our demise or come to our end. Yeah? And of course, that's the last of the seven signs. And that seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha, they have faith, but it's not quite fully mature, is it? Lord, we know that if you had been here, you could have done it. Their faith wasn't complete enough to realize, oh, you can still do it even though you're not here, right? So these characters, many of them are being tested, and we're being tested all the time. First, it lets us, tells us what's in our heart, because otherwise we very, very, we deceive ourselves, yes, constantly. We think we're okay, and we think we, you know, we've somehow, we've arrived, uh, or we uh, forget about what the Lord has done for us. And so, like Philip and Andrew, you know, we need to be, we need to be tested. And uh, very often, the Lord will test us in places, yeah, that are very, very, you might say, delicate. We're tested in relations, relationships with our family, we're so oftentimes tested in areas concerning finances. We're tested in our identity, especially our sexual identity and gender. We very often react with fear. And what is, what is the Lord, at least in my experience, what does he want us to do? What is he trying to get us to do? Really trying to be like that little boy who's willing to give, you know, who has enough trust, who has enough confidence in Jesus to give him the five barley loaves and the two fish. And more often than not, our response is, wait a minute, I don't have much, but I got to hold on to it. Yeah, I got to hold on to what little identity I have left or what little money I have left. I'm not really sure I can trust God, and I'm not really sure that all that stuff about abundance really is for today and it's for me. Yeah? It's only in John's gospel that we know that so much is left over, that they have to, to collect the remains, yes, so they don't, it doesn't go to waste. Or the, the story of the wine at the wedding of Cana, you know, the old saying, if you're going to have a party, invite Jesus. It'll be a lot better with him than without him. And what I love the passage that we read today from Ephesians. And that passage talked about the uh, overwhelming, you know, love that uh, the Lord has for us as individuals and as members of his church. Yes, the richness of that love yeah, and his desire to uh, empower us, yes, and to, to bring us blessing. And that Pauline language that sums up, in a way, what happened with the feeding of the 5,000. But very often, again, we are um, challenged, yeah, 
to somehow want to safeguard or to hoard, yes, instead of giving away. In God's economy, it's always in giving that we get. And when God gives to us, even when we don't give, our response should be, again, one of giving. And not just money, because it's very easy to throw money into a church, into a basket. But ultimately, it's giving ourselves. Yes? Isn't that, doesn't, isn't that what it means to believe? Yes. To believe is not, again, it's not something intellectual, just as happening in my head. It's actually an act of surrender, right? I'm going to give myself over to you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to remain with you. And I'm going to live life your way. Yes. That's self-giving, total surrender, just as Jesus himself will tell us in this chapter that ultimately he gives himself to us. And our response should always be is that we, in return, we give back to him what he gave to us initially. Our lives don't belong to us anyway. And we're in no way repaying the gift of eternal life that he gives us. But the way that we're going to express that gratitude is, again, by giving him, you know, all that he has given us. Now, just as a PS to all this, it doesn't quite end so well because it says they want to come and make him king. And so, you know, signs... God's miracles or God's intervention in our life. And let me emphasize that, you know, not everything is a dramatic miracle, nor does it have to be a dramatic miracle. But let's talk about the way God intervenes in our lives today. Yes, each one of us. Um, You know, these things can be misinterpreted and they can be misused. And um, many people saw the things that Jesus did Many people in our day and age have received blessing and deliverance and healing from God. And yet they're not disciples. They're not walking after the Lord. I think we need to be careful because um, we oftentimes, if we become impatient with God, God, you're not doing things my way and you're not doing things on my timetable or my schedule, right? God, you're not acting the way I envision. You know, people wanted to make Jesus a political king. And Jesus had to run away because he knew that's a disaster. Very often the Messiah we want, the salvation we want, the deliverance we want, is not the redemption that we need. It's not the Messiah that we need. Yes? And so when God doesn't come through our way, we take offense, or we take offense at others, or we envy others, or there's some kind of root of, uh, of uh, bitterness, uh, or it might be our own lust that uh, gets in the way. And uh, this always leads to a lack of gratitude for what God has done. So the Lord indeed wants to strengthen our faith. He certainly wants us to come to, all of us, to come to a place of deeper trust and certainly deeper commitment 
yes, and a willingness to imitate him. Uh, but we have to be careful, you know, that uh, whether it's forgetfulness or ingratitude or envy, some kind of false expectation doesn't get in that it doesn't get in the way. I don't want to be often like some of the people at least that we meet in the gospels or even people that we know in our walk with the Lord, many who have indeed been blessed, yet have forgotten you know, the goodness of God. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we indeed, Lord, welcome the signs that you give us. Lord, we welcome your um, intervention. We welcome your guidance. We welcome your direction. We welcome your provision. Lord, we welcome the small things you do for us and the big things that you do for each one of us. Lord, thank you for these things. Thank you for the, the, many, the many blessings that you've given each one of us. Lord, we pray that our hearts will not be hard, that indeed there will be no envy or bitterness or lust, Lord, that will um, turn us away from you. But we pray that the good things that you do to us will be received gratefully by us, joyfully by us. We pray that we'll tell our children and our grandchildren, our friends and our neighbors, all the good things you've done for us. And Lord, we ask that uh, you in would indeed strengthen us and strengthen our life of believing, that relationship with you and our Father. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.